Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, let's go to Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 this morning. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Joshua's next step of faith. I love your theme this year, take the next step. That's a, that's a great theme. You know, it reminds me of what Peter wrote to believers in 1 Peter 2.21 when he said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And there's this idea here that we are followers of Christ. Is that not one of the definitions of a disciple? We follow Christ. And as we follow Christ, obviously there are steps that we are to take because following Christ is a journey made up of individual steps. I think one of the great object lessons of this is the fact that when the Lord Jesus was on the earth in his ministry, he walked hundreds of miles. Have you ever thought about that? He walked from Galilee down to Jerusalem. He made that trip three or four times, walked out into the wilderness. And if his disciples were going to follow him, they had to walk in his steps, didn't they? I mean, if Jesus said, follow me to Jerusalem, they couldn't do that by sitting still in Galilee. If I was going to say to you, follow me out to the parking lot, you couldn't do that and remain in your pew. You would have to stand up and take a step, take a step, take a step to get there. And in the Christian life, what we need to beware of is the danger of becoming dormant, stagnant, or sedentary. It's a danger in the physical life, isn't it? I mean, it's easy as you get older to do less activity and gain more weight, and then you have to get on the stepper and do a lot of steps to work it back off. Uh, you know, there's a danger in the spiritual life of us becoming sedentary and wanting to just sit and settle down right where we are and not take the next step in our walk with Christ. But I find in Scripture that there is always a next step in our Christian life until we take the ultimate step, which is crossing over into heaven. After all, when Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 4, 19, did he not say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? He said that to Peter and Andrew. He said it to James and John. He said it to Matthew, follow me. And that, that, that indicates that there are steps to be taken in our journey with Christ. And so as we come this morning uh, to the scripture and we look at this Old Testament character of Joshua, we find that Joshua has, uh, has a big step in front of him. If you remember the context of the book, in Deuteronomy, Moses had given his last address to the young nation of Israel. Remember, the, the generation that denied to believe God, they had died in the wilderness. And because of Moses' disobedience of striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock when God commanded that, God said, you will not enter into the promised land. You will die also in the wilderness. He had the opportunity to see the promised land from the mountain, but he didn't actually get to lead the people in. And so there's a huge transition that is taking place, not only in the life of Joshua, but in the life of the nation of Israel. The leadership is changing. Moses, who has been their leader for 40 years... He's been the man who has been the spokesman for God. He's been the man who settled all the major disputes, was he not? Remember when his father-in-law came and said, you've got to get some people to help you because you're going to kill yourself sitting here from sunlight to sundown listening to everybody's disputes. I mean, he was the man. As a matter of fact, uh, all throughout the New Testament, Moses is still celebrated as one of the greatest le leaders in Israel's history. 
And so imagine what Joshua is facing. Joshua has been an assistant, a helper. He's been in the background most of the time while Moses has been in the forefront. And now, as we begin the book of Joshua, God tells Joshua, I want you to step up into Moses' place and I want you to lead these people into the promised land. And what we find is that Joshua was willing to step up for God and step out by faith And because of that, you and I have the benefit of learning some principles about taking the next step. We we hear this statement, take the next step in your Christian life. Take that next step that God has in front of you. And I think that for any true believer, we have a desire to do that. We want to follow the Lord. I mean, uh, that's one of the characteristics and qualities of being a believer is we want to follow Him. But sometimes we just don't know how to take the next step. Sometimes our lives become so cluttered, our minds have been so indoctrinated with worldly, man-made philosophies that we're just not sure how to proceed to the next step. And so I I want us to take a look at at the character of Joshua today in this text to learn some principles from him about how we can take the next step. So let's read verses 1 through 9. And then pray and ask God to use His Word in our life today. Joshua 1.1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in recognition that you are God and we are not. And Lord, we come this morning not as critics of your word, but we come as students. We're not here to judge these words that are said. We're here to learn these words because we believe that they are your words. And we understand that your word has power and your word does a work and that if we yield ourselves to it this morning, you will do a work in our lives. Father, I ask that you would enter me of self and all selfish inclinations and fill me with your Holy Spirit 
empower me and enable me to preach your word as you'd have it to be preached. Lord, please do that divine work of editing and help me not to say anything that you would not have me to say. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what I cannot do, and that is take this word, this message, and drive it deep into the heart of every believer here today so that no life is left unchanged. And Father, I pray if there be anybody here today who does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today, that through the preaching of your word, the sin of their heart would be revealed and that they would truly be repentant and come to you. Father, we love you and we thank you and we want to glorify you, not just in this hour, but in every day of our life. And so we're asking you, Lord, to use your word as a sharp surgeon's scalpel to perform an operation on our lives today and cut away anything that should not be there. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, as we're talking about the next step, I want us to find a few principles here in this passage that we can use and apply to our life. And the very first one that stands out to me is in verse 1, and that is the next step is personal. The next step is personal. Do you notice that God addresses Joshua by his first name? God knows his name. And God not only knew his name, but he knew his daddy's name, the son of none. And, you know, we get this idea sometimes that we're kind of out here flying on a solo mission and all communication has been cut off with heaven. And, you know, if we really pray real hard and get on praying ground, then maybe we can get in touch with God. But most of the time we're kind of trying out here doing on our own. Can I tell you, that's absolutely wrong. The Bible says that God knows you and I. And the step that God has for you is a personal step. God knew who Joshua was, and God knew what he wanted Joshua to do. He wanted Joshua to take leadership of Israel and lead them in the promised land. Can I tell you, God knows what he wants you to do. You may not know what he wants you to do yet, but God knows what he wants you to do. And there's no generic plan here, and that we just plug into what everybody else is doing. But I'm telling you, God has something for you as an individual that he wants you to do. There's a step that is in front of you or going to be in front of you in your Christian life that God wants you to take. And the step that you're about to take right now is different than the step that God wants me to take right now. Because God has led us on different paths. God has led us at different speeds. We are at different places in our Christian life and in our service to the Lord. And we need to realize that God's next step is personal. Do you realize that God knows who you are? And God knows what He wants you to do. Consider what, prophet, what God said to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1.5, God said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Can you imagine that? Before Jeremiah ever drew his first breath outside of his mother's womb, God said, I knew you. And I knew what I wanted you to do. And I already had a plan for your life. And somebody might say, well, sure, sure. God, God knew Joshua and God knew Jeremiah and God knew what he wanted them to do. But this is me. I'm a, I'm a nobody. I'm just a Christian. I'm just, a, I'm just trying to get along in life. I'm telling you, friend, God knows you and God knows what he wants you to do. As a matter of fact, God, uh, Jesus said in Luke 12, 6 and 7, that God knows the very numbers of the hairs on your head. Can you imagine that? Now I know how many eyes I have. 
I know how many fingers I have. I know how many toes I have. I even know how many teeth I have. 31. I'm, I'm missing one on the side. But I don't know, and I really don't care how many hairs I have on my head. I mean, that's not a detail that has ever perplexed me. I've never stayed up at night wondering, how many hairs do I have? Because I just simply don't care. Do you care how many hairs? Well, some of you fellas probably care. <laughs> but God knows you in such an intimate way that He knows details about you that nobody else knows. He knows things about you that your mama doesn't know about you. He knows things about you that your spouse doesn't know about you. God knows you in a personal way. So why do we think that God wouldn't deal with us in a personal way? Why would we imagine that God doesn't have a next step for you and I? God has a next step, and the next step is personal. It's what God wants Justin Hall to do. It's what God wants Jim Alter to do. It's what God wants you to do. The next step is personal, just like it was for Jeremiah, or for Joshua. Uh, we go on and we see in verse 2 that not only is the next step personal, but the next step does bring increased responsibilities. Look at verse 2. God's speaking to Joshua here. And he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Do you realize that, Mo, that Joshua's responsibility level is getting ready to increase dramatically? I mean, he was Moses' minister. And uh, we understand that that means attendant, servant. I mean, he was Moses' personal attendant, personal assistant. What do you want me to do, Moses? And that's all Joshua really had to worry about. What does Moses want me to do? He didn't have to carry about all the other things. Just what does Moses want me to do? Now God is saying, Moses is dead. I want you to take Moses' position. And now you're going to be responsible not just for entering into this land, but for leading all these people into this land. Now, to help you get a better understanding of this, we need to consider the magnitude of this responsibility. In a couple of places in the Pentateuch, the children of Israel are numbered. The men are counted from age 20 and up. And in that census, we are told that there were 603,550 men. Now, this indicates that if that was the count of the men in that age group, that, that would give the overall population, men, women, children, young and old, it would place it over 2 million people. Over 2 million people. Now, think about this. I know we, we live in small towns and we go to small churches and we're not used to thinking about this. For me, in my part of the country, that's the population of Denver and all of its surrounding cities. Two million. That's almost half the population of my state of Colorado. Four and a half million is what we have in the state. So almost half the population. That's too many people. That's how many people were in this migrant nation that Joshua has to lead and care for. When you think about being in responsible leadership, you carry the weight of the people you're leading. How many of you husbands, fathers, carry the weight of your responsibility when you think about my family needs to eat, my family needs to have a place to live, my family needs clothes to wear, my family has necessities, and you feel that weight, that responsibility. 
Now imagine feeling the responsibility for two million people. You want to know how much they could eat? It, it, we are told, it's estimated that two million people, they would have needed about 50 railway boxcars of manna per day. 50 railroad cars of manna per day to feed two million people. Not only that, we're told that they would have needed 12 million gallons of water. Now the manna, hey, God's raining that down from heaven. So Joshua could probably put that, check that off his list. God's got that one covered. But do you remember the struggle they had with water as they traveled throughout the wilderness? That they went to places where there was not enough water for them to drink? That's why Moses had to strike the rock in the first place. And God sent water gushing forth. Not a little trickle, but enough to provide 12 million gallons of water per day. That's why he had to do it again. That's why there was such an uproar when they came to a place with water that was not drinkable, it was bitter. And so we need to realize Joshua, no doubt, is computing this as he thinks about, I'm leading 2 million people they got to eat every day they've got to have water every day that doesn't include all the water it would take for any irrigation they might use or to water the animals that they had that was just drinking water for two million people as a matter of fact we are told that for a a group that size two million to set up camp it would be a hundred square mile radius man that's some kind of responsibility isn't it if I was Joshua, I might would think about declining that position. You say, oh, that's you. you're not very spiritual. Well, I'm very human. And I tell you, you're the same way. There's a lot of Christians who don't want to take the next step because of the responsibility it brings with it. We've read what Jesus said in Luke twelve forty eight: For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. There are Christians who are not willing to take the next step because they don't want the responsibility that comes with the next step. And they get down on their knees and say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. God, please just leave me, guide me, bless me, help me. And then he says, this is what I want. And you say, hmm, I can't do that. Oh, wait a minute. Is it your step or is it God's step? Do you decide what the next step is or does God decide what the next step is? You see, God decides what the next step is. We just simply have to determine what God has decided for us. What's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? Pastor stands up and says, we need a Sunday school teacher for fourth grade boys. And about a third of the people say, I could never do that. Wait a minute. If God wants you to do that, you could. I imagine Joshua could never lead two million people. He could never provide food for two million people. He could never provide water for two million people. He could never find an adequate campground for two million people. But God said that's the next step, and Joshua stepped out by faith, and he followed God, and God provided those things. You understand? It's not about you as much as it is about God. And if God tells you to take the next step, you step out by faith, and you take the step, and you will watch God provide what you need for that next step. If you're going to stand back and wait until what you have for the next step, you're never going to take the next step. If Joshua stood back and waited until he thought he had graduated to the point where he could lead too many people, he would have never taken the next step. They'd still be on the other side of Jordan. And we need to realize that, yes, the next step does bring increased responsibilities, but God is going to guide us. What's the next step in your life? What are you apprehensive of? 
There are men who, who, who feel the tug in their heart that they ought to be preaching the gospel, that they ought to be uh, fully immersed in the work of God, but they think, I could never do that. I could never go there. I could never stand in front of people. My friend, you can't do it, and we can't do it, but God can do it through us. Did not Paul say in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Oh yeah, I believe that verse. I've got it memorized, really? Then are you going to take the next step that God puts in front of you, or are you going to give an excuse to say why you can't do it because it's too much responsibility. I told you I get coiled up like a spring. This is what happens when it breaks loose. You know, we all want opportunities. We want opportunities to serve the Lord. We want opportunities to glorify God. We want opportunities to make a greater impact for the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. But we have to realize with those opportunities comes responsibilities. And we can't have the opportunity without the responsibility. And if God has a step for you, friend, don't sweat the increased responsibility. Don't say, I could never. You should say, as James said, if the Lord will. If the Lord will, that's what we'll do. If we're going to take the next step, we've got to be willing to accept more responsibility. I don't know any man who who started pastoring a church who thought, I can do this. I'm telling you, after seven years of it, I think a lot of days, I can't do this. This is too much. I don't know what to do, Lord. You know, but the fact is, that's the step God had for me. So the responsibility increases and God provides. The third principle that we find about taking the next step is in verses 3 and 4, and that is the next step is not the last step. The next step is not the last step. Look at verse 3. It says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. You see, Joshua still had a lot of steps in front of him. Sometimes we think that the, the surrender is the end of the step. God deals with our heart. God convicts our heart. God convinces us of something. And it's such a work for us to come to that place where we get down on our knees in front of Him and we say, Okay, Lord, it's all yours. It's totally yours. I give it to you. And we think that that's all we have to do. And what you find out is when you get up from that surrender, that's when it starts. And that's the way it was for Joshua. It wasn't about Joshua just accepting, just saying, okay, God, I'll do. God said, look, you've got to lead these people into the promised land. You've got to, you've got to go, you've got to lead them in. You're going down to Euphrates, up to the coast, to the Hittites. I mean, everywhere that your foot steps, that's what I'm giving to these people. So Joshua, you have a lot of steps in front of you. It wasn't just entering Canaan, Canaan land, it was conquering Canaan land. It wasn't just Joshua saying, okay, I'll take the job. It was Joshua getting up and doing the job and believing what God had said and facing the armies and the enemies in that land and him fighting them in the power of God and seeing God give them the land. The next step is not the last step until you go to heaven. You see, that's when you stop walking. That's when you stop following Christ is when you see him face to face. You see, we need to understand that the next step is just one in a series of steps in our journey. 
There's never a step in the Christian life where we say, I've arrived. This is where I'm at for the rest of my Christian life. But boy, it sure seems like some Christians live their life that way, doesn't it? They got to a certain point, and that's where they've been for the last 10 years. Hey, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The next step is just one in a series of steps. It's not the last step. There's always going to be a next step until we meet Jesus face to face. Isn't that what Paul indicated in Philippians 3, 13 and 14 when he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, as long as I am on this earth, I am pressing toward Christ. I am taking the next step in my journey. He is leading me, and he hasn't stopped leading me. And you know, we... This might be where it goes from preaching to meddling. We have this American Western mentality that there's a retirement age out there in the future. I am working... 17 more years, 8 months, and 19 days till I can retire. And when I do, sweet tea, rocking chairs, I mean, that's all I'm going to do because my work is done. And the rest of the time God gives me on this earth, I'm just coasting. And the sad thing is we've transferred that into our Christian life. Well, I did my part. I helped build this church. You see that wall right there? I painted it in 1977. My work's done. It's time for these kids to start doing something around here. Now, your pastor hasn't been telling me stories about you. I've been pastoring for eight years. I know how it works. And we need to realize that there's never a time for us to stop following Christ until we see Him face to face. That's when we stop. You say, well, I got the gout. Don't you know? I mean, it's, it's hard for me to do these things. Hey, you're not, you may not follow him in the same way that you did when you were 20, but you still have a next step at 80. Did you ever read the book of Genesis that Abraham or Abram at that time was 75 when God called him to leave his land? You think about that, you know, 75, I don't want to go nowhere. I've lived here all my life, you know. My mama lived in this house, and I live in I don't know. Yeah, I got too much stuff to move. Do you realize what Abraham moved? Abraham had 316 trained militia men as his servants. That was just the men, over 300, who were trained to fight. Not counting their wives, their children, not counting the multitude. Abram was one of the richest men believed in that period of the time at that region. He had, he had hundreds of head of cattle and flocks and sheep. And God said, I want you to pack up your, from your homeland and go out to his... Where do you want me to go, God? Well, I, I'll show you when you get there. You just start the journey. What you talking about, God? I got to know. I got to know where the destination is. I got to know where everything is between. I got to know where all the Starbucks are on the way to that place. <laughs> and we don't want to take this step of, well, I'm too old. Hey, I know, I know I'm going to get there one day. I'm, I'm not an old man, but can I remind you? Abraham was still 75 when he took the first step. Well, they lived longer back then. Yeah, but 75 years was still 75 years. He was still 75 years old when he started. 
He lived to be about 137. Yeah, but he still was 75 years before he started at that point. Well, how about the New Testament? I know we're dispensationalists. Now, we no, we, you know, that was the Old Testament. But what about the Apostle John? John was in his 90s when he got exiled to Patmos when he wrote the letter uh, of the Revelation to the seven churches. 90s! You know why he was arrested? Do you know why he was imprisoned? It tells us right there in chapter 1, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, because John was still out there following Jesus. John was still out there taking the next step. John, at 90 years old, was still preaching the gospel, and he was put in jail for it. And you don't hear one word of complaint from him. He simply says, I was in the aisle that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know what he said? It's worth it, because I'm not going to stop following Jesus. I mean, Enoch was 365 years old and he was still walking with God. So why do we have this mentality that there's this place I get to when I don't take any more steps? Like I said, you may not be following him the same way you did when you were in your 20s. But there's still a next step for you no matter what age you are. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, perhaps some of the most godly uh, prayer warriors I've ever met have been in their 80s. Man, that's quite a step. That's something that's hard for a, for a family. It's got three or four kids running around the house and whining and crying all the time. And there's never a moment's peace and quiet, and if there is, you're trying to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, you might have that opportunity to enter into a different level of your prayer life at that age. Are you taking that step? You see, the next step's not the last step. There's always another step in that series until we meet the Lord Jesus. So let's not get the idea that we've arrived. Paul said, I haven't, I haven't arrived. I haven't apprehended. I'm still following after Christ. So let's keep taking the next step through our life. And let's just determine that we're going to take the next step until we see our Lord face to face. Number four, the fourth principle we find is in verse 5 and verse 9, and that is the next step is not taken alone. The next step is not taken alone. In verse 5, the Lord's speaking to Joshua, and he says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And then again at the end of verse 9, it says, For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Did you realize that God goes with you on the next step? God goes with you on the next step. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes people say, you know, well, I'm afraid to surrender to ministry because God might take me to Africa or God might take me to the Sudan or God might take me to Polynesia. I mean, I, I, I would be so uh, afraid to go that far from home. Why, why would we be afraid if God's going with us? You know, my kids get scared of the dark sometimes. It might be because I jump out by, from behind doors and try to scare them when it's dark and try to encourage them to go into places that I've made sound real spooky and scary. On our way home from church, I used to take this back road, and every time we turn off by this stop sign, there was this ominous-looking part of the woods, trees and rocks, you know, and stuff like that. And my son, Wyatt, my middle son, would talk about how he thought there were bears in there. You know, he'd been watching Davy Crockett. And so I decided one night after church on Wednesday night when it was real good and dark, I pulled in and I just pulled over on the side of the road. 
And I said, all right, White, get out and go up in there and see if there's any bears. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, let's get my flashlight, Daddy, and we'll stop next time when you come back by here. You know, he wasn't wanting to go up in there. But do you know if I would have got out of the truck and walked up in there, you know he would have went with me? Why? Because he knows he's not alone. And he knows that the man who loves him more than any other man on this earth and who will give whatever he has to give to protect him was with him. So why do you and I get so afraid to take the next step when we know that the God who loves us more than anybody on this planet loves us and who goes with us and has promised to protect us is going to take the step with us? Why would we be afraid? Is that not what God told Joshua? Don't be afraid. I, I, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20? All power is given on me, heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know what's interesting? That little English word, always. It's not like we use today, always. It's not a misspelling. It literally indicated all the way. All the way. There's never a part of the trip that Jesus isn't with you. All the way to the end of the world. Hey, if God's calling you to take the next step, you're not taking it alone. You're taking it with Him. Did He not tell us in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear of what man shall do unto me. We are never supposed to be afraid of man or man-made things. We are only to fear God. And when we fear Him, we don't have to be afraid of anything else. And so if God is taking the next step with it, why would we ever even contemplate the idea of fear? Fear, I believe, is one of Satan's most used tools to keep believers from doing what God's called them to do. Hey, why don't you witness to people when you have an opportunity? Oh, well, I'm, I'm afraid to. What if they talk mean to me? What if, they, what if they think I'm some kind of freak? What if they mock me and make fun of me? You know, I, I, I've, I've experienced it. There's nothing, I, I don't find anything that brings intimidation in my life like trying to witness to somebody. Even old women, little old ladies. I didn't mean that derogatively. Even, <laughs> even, even when you go knock on a door and, and, and it's what would normally be a sweet-looking little old lady, if you're going to try and give her the gospel, there's something inside of you that causes your heart rate to rise, makes your palms a little sweat. I, what is that? I'm telling you what that is. That's the devil trying to use fear to keep you and I from doing what God wants us to do. That's what happens to us when we're hesitant about taking the next step. Well, I'm not sure if I can do that. Hey, God's going with you. So why would you be afraid? Take the next step knowing that God is going along with you in that next step. That's what God told Joshua. Do you think Joshua experienced any fear? I mean, let's forget about the, the, the stress and anxiety that would come from taking care of two million people. What about the fact that he's going into a hostile land? He's getting ready to invade a foreign land that God has told Joshua that he's given to them, but God hasn't told the Hittites or the Jebusites or any the others that he's given it away. They're still going in and facing enemies who are going to fight tooth and nail to defend their land and their cities. And Joshua has the biggest battles ahead of him. 
Oh, by the way, Joshua's in his 80s at this point, isn't he? And he goes and God says, look, I'm going with you. Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't turn back. Don't retreat. Don't fear because I am with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Everywhere you go, I'm going with you. And I believe we can... I believe we can hold to that promise too based on New Testament principles that God goes with us when we take the next step He has for us. Principle number five, the next step takes strength and courage. Look at at verse 6 and 7. God says to Joshua, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide unto an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do all the law. And then again in verse 9, uh, he says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Three times in nine verses, God tells Joshua, Be strong. And he says it again to punctuate the end of the chapter in verse 18. Only be strong and of a good courage. Strength and courage is needed for the next step. God calls us to do valiant things. If we are going to advance the cause of Christ, then it's going to take strength and courage to do it. Uh, We have an an effeminized version of Christianity today uh, that is is so afraid to take a step to... uh, uh, branch out and perhaps offend anybody when God says, look, if you're going to follow me, it's going to take strength and it's going to take courage. It's not something that you do lightly. It is something that you do committedly. You say, well, I'm, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I've got the strength and the courage to do that. Well, I do. And I know the answer is you don't have the strength and the courage to do that. And I know I don't have the strength and the courage to do that. Can I tell you, before I preach, before I teach, I get nervous. I'm scared. I mean, I get up here, if you're looking at the back of my neck, it's red and blotchy. It's not a sunburn. Those are hives. I get nervous. After 10 years of doing this, I'm still nervous to stand up and preach in front of people. I I don't have it in myself to, to do what God wants me to do. But can I tell you something? The Bible says that we don't trust in our own strength. We trust in the strength that God gives us. Remember what the Bible says, Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is the strength of my life. Psalm 29, 11, The Lord will give strength unto His people. Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Did not Paul say, When I am weak, then I am strong, because he's got the strength of the Lord. My friends, you and I have mistakenly thought that it's got to be our strength and our courage that helps us take the next step when we've got to get the strength and the courage from God. I love the story. I love the story about Elijah. Remember after Elijah had went up there on top of the mountain and man, he called down the fire. I mean, perhaps the pinnacle of his ministry. I mean, he called down the fire. The fire came down, burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, licked up the water. It was in the trough. I mean, all of it. And then right after that, he prayed. It started raining again. It had to rain. I mean, I mean, he was walking high. He just, he just massacred 400 prophets of Baal. I mean, he was, I mean, he just saw God work in a mighty way. And then he got a message from old, uh, what was her name? Jezebel. Uh, If I don't do the same thing to you that you did to my prophets by this time tomorrow, 
I'll give my own life to God. I'll let him take it. And you know what? That, that, that strong man, that valiant man, cowered and ran. And went and said, God, just take my life. Just let me die. Just, 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 just don't, I, I just can't even do it anymore. And you know, God led him to a place and God fed him. Did you ever read that? We don't have time to read it this morning. But in 1 Kings 19, 4 through 8, God tells Elijah, rise and eat. Takes a little nap, rise and eat. And then it says that Elijah went 40 days in the strength of that meat. That's a supernatural story. But that's evidence of our supernatural God. Pastor, I don't have the strength to take the next step. I don't have the strength to step out by faith. I don't have the courage to do what I think God wants me to do. Hey, that's okay. You're in the right place because now you're ready to look to God to get the strength you need to do it. You see, as long as you think you have the strength to do it, you will fail. But when you come to the place where you realize, I can't, but God can, and I want Him to, that's when you're in the right position to take the next step in the strength and power of God. And then last of all, I want you to see that the next step must be by the book. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Do you realize that you could spend your whole life wondering about the what-ifs and never take the next step that's clearly laid out for you in Scripture? Sometimes people come and they say, Pastor, I, I, I want help. I, I want to know what God's will is for my life. And, and, and they think of it this way, that the will of God is uh, this hidden hidden portal into a perfect life. Like they've got to search around and find that, that door that's going to enter them into the perfect life. That's not the will of God. The will of God is simply obeying God in what God's commanded us to do. And those people who sit around wondering what God's will is for the rest of their life and never take the steps that are clearly outlined in, them, in Scripture for them are not going to find God's will because they're not doing what God's told them to do right here, right now. And so God tells Joshua, if you're going to take the next step, Joshua, if you're going to lead these people into the promised land, then you've got to follow the law. You've got to follow the book. You've got to meditate in it day and night. Then your way will be prosperous. Then your journey shall be successful. You've got to do it by the book. And can I remind you, Christians, that's what we're supposed to be doing, is walking by the book. Remember John 8, 31, If you continue on my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know... Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy law. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Thy hands have made me, and fashioned me. Give me understanding, and I learn thy commandments. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Can I tell you, God has given us the next step in his word. And we need to obey those steps that He's laid out for us. If you're not saved, the first step is getting saved, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you're not saved, friend, don't think about what the step is at number 365. The first step is getting saved. 
The Bible tells us that when we get saved, there's some clearly outlined steps that are in front of us. We're supposed to get baptized. Is that not what Jesus said? Teach them, go and you'll, go ye therefore into all nations, uh, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Isn't that the pattern we see in Acts? That as many as gladly received His Word were baptized the same day. Hey, don't sit here after you get saved and say, I wonder what God wants me to do with my life and not take the step that He's laid out in His Word to get baptized and identify with Him as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know God wants us to be united with a local New Testament church. And there's a lot of people who set out on the sidelines and say, boy, I wonder what God wants me to do with my life, but they never unite with a local Bible-believing church as Christ established and as we are told in Scripture. There are some steps that are clearly outlined for us, and as we follow those steps by the book, you know what God will do? God will give us light for the steps that we are not sure about. And so the next step is by the book. Hey, and by the way, if you're contemplating taking a step that's not that it's not put forth in the Word of God, then you better realize that's not the next step for me. That's not the next step. That doesn't go along with God's Word. That violates a principle of God's Word. Hey, let me tell you some steps that aren't the next step, if you don't mind. I've got about two more minutes here, so let's see if I can make people mad. (laughs) Adultery is never the next step. Adultery is never the next step. God said that we're supposed to be husband and wife. We're supposed to leave father and mother, cleave to one another, and that our bodies is not our own, but it belongs to our... So God's never going to lead you into adultery. Hey, young people, fornication's never the next step. First uh, Thessalonians 3 tells us that the will of God is this, uh, that we abstain from fornication, that we know how to possess our vessels in sanctification. Hey, that's the will of God. It's for me not to fornicate. I know that sounds crazy in the world that we live in. I mean, when it's promoted on every TV show and almost every movie and in our schools and when it's promoted all around and our kids grow up thinking this is a way of life, I'm telling you, it's not the step God has for you and I. In my town, in my town, we got just got our new phone book. What does that have to do with anything? Well, my assistant pastor was looking for it, through it, and he told me there's two pages of advertisements for medical marijuana shops in our town. Two pages of advertisements. We've got like 8,000 people in our town, and we've got two pages worth of marijuana shops in our town. Hey, just because the government says it's okay doesn't mean God's okay with it. God's not in you getting high. I told you it gets heated up sometimes. I'm just trying to help you realize there are some things that are not the next step because they're contradictory to Scripture. Hey, us not, us not loving each other, that's not the next step. Us backbiting, gossiping, talking about each other, this group in the church getting mad at this group in the church and this person talking about that person, that's not the next step. God's against that. God wants us to take the next step. And He wants us to do it by the book. And when we take the next step, we see God do things that we never saw on the other side of the river. Would you bow your heads with me? So we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. We do this to give each other a little bit of privacy so that we can respond to the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, What's the next step God has for you? What's the next step in your Christian life as you follow Him? I'm not going to go through a list. God's Holy Spirit speaks much louder than I do. And you know what He's crying out in your heart this very morning.
what God wants you to do. My friend, can I give you this counsel? Your answer to God should always be yes. So let's take the principles we just learned about the next step in Joshua's life and let's apply them to our life. Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that you would have your way. In your